In this episode of How'd You Get Here, we interview neurologist and MS specialist, Dr. Susan Anzalone. It's a great story of how someone started a second career and um, pursued their dreams. I hope you enjoy it. So um, I'm excited to have um, Dr. Susan Anzalone, who is the medical director and founder uh, of the Colorado MS Center. She's also a neurologist. So that's pretty interesting. Thank you so much for being on the show. How'd you get here? Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, um, I think it's pretty interesting. I mean, one, to get the MD title, it takes a lot of work, right? I mean, it's not pretty, it's not super simple. And you probably have to spend a lot of money and you have to go through a lot of schooling. And you did that. And then you decided to open up your own medical practice and pursue that. So there's a lot here that I'd like to unpack and understand. Um, But but before we go there, I kind of want to hear a little bit more about you. I want to hear your story, where you grew up, what kind of family life you had, and then kind of that journey through, you know, school all the way to you know, where you are now. Okay. Born and raised in Nebraska. Okay. Uh, when I was one, my mom, my dad, and I actually moved to San Francisco for about a year. Why was that? Uh, my dad was working for the IRS. Oh. He's an accountant. Okay. So I got my little, a little taste of San Francisco, which, mm-hmm. uh, interestingly, I never got out of my system until maybe recently, but, uh, I've always loved San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So, um, then we moved back to Nebraska when I was about two and stayed there uh, through sixth grade when we moved to Denver. Wow, okay. So yeah. you were 12 years old, essentially, something yeah, like that? something like when that. You moved to Denver? Mm-hmm. So you've kind of been here a, a long time, yeah. you know? I feel kind of like home. a native. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah, that's awesome. And then same reason you, you moved to Colorado because of dad's job? Well, my parents divorced when I was young. Probably I was seven-ish. I'm not even sure. And then uh, a few years later, my mom and I moved out here to Denver. Her sister had already moved to Denver, so Mm -hmm. we followed in her footsteps. And um, yeah, my mom was working for um, a restaurant chain at the time. And yeah, I started school here and started my life in Denver. That's awesome. What part of town did you you grow up in? We grew up um, near Crestmore Park. Okay. Or I grew up near Crestmore Park. And then we eventually moved down to Littleton. I went to Littleton High. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, my, my mother-in-law went to Littleton High. No and way. my kids are going to go to Littleton High. Nice. Now <laughs> yeah. it's really supposed to be a good school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, it's smaller for that area. Yeah. So that's what's good. Okay, so then you started going to Littleton. Mm-hmm. Littleton High. And were you, like, the cool kid? Were you, like, Captain Populator, like... Popular, like <laughs> cheerleader, like captain, and all that kind of stuff, or definitely not a cheerleader. <laughs> no, no, no. I uh, I ended up meeting some amazing people. Um, just got a really close knit group of friends in high school mm-hmm. and had a blast. Nice. Um, friends with a lot of them still today, which is oh, awesome. That's awesome. Uh, it's been good to reconnect with them. I moved back to Denver in 2015 and have made uh, some reconnections, which has been fun. But yeah, high school is great. I know for some people it's traumatic, and I'm yeah. sorry for that because <laughs> yeah. 
it's an awkward time. And I feel like now kids have a really hard time and just growing up and going to school and going to high school. But back then it was, it was pretty easy and pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, did you have any interest? I mean, when you were younger, were you like operating on your friends or like (laughs) trying to like look inside their brains or, you know, um, no, <laughs> but I do have a picture of myself when I was about three with a fake stethoscope uh, taking my grandpa's, uh, get, listening to his yeah. heart. That's a really, I love that photo. That's like one yeah. of those like ones that you have that you're like, see, look at I know. Ever since I was a little baby, I was into this stuff. Which is interesting because I actually did not end up uh, going to med school until I was 33. Oh, wow. Um, so is that older then? That's older. Usually you go... Right out of college, so okay. probably 22, okay. 23, maybe. And I, you know, had about 10 years in between where I did something entirely different. So oh. um, it's I, it might have been like a, a latent interest that kind of resurfaced later in life. Okay. Interesting. So um, what what did you do then? So after high school... I uh, went to CU Boulder. Went to for s- stayed college. in Colorado. Stayed in Colorado. Because you're like, it's beautiful. It's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't want to, like, go out of state and spend 20 grand a year on tuition when I really had no idea what I wanted to do. So Smart. Stayed in Colorado. I loved Boulder. Um, yeah. Went up there for four years. I majored in sociology. Um, probably, I just, I was interested in sociology. I thought I might become a lawyer. So I had an emphasis in criminology. Loved taking women's studies courses. So, have always been a big proponent of, you know, civil rights, equal rights. So I think um, that has persisted to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I took a really interesting class up in Boulder called Deviance in U.S. Society. So um, What does that mean? We just studied deviant behavior and why it occurs. And Really? Yeah. That's like a thing, huh? <laughs> it's a thing. It was a cool <laughs> class. Yeah. So what, why, is, why is there deviant behavior? What's the oh, story? God. This was a long time ago. <laughs> um, probably because it's fun. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Being deviant is risky. It's fun to break the is. rules, right? <laughs> so um, so then college was a breeze for you. You did four years. You, did you figure out what you wanted to do? <laughs> no, no, didn't oh. at all. Um, college was a breeze. Also, great time. Made amazing friends. Um, we get together. There's pretty close-knit group of about 10 of us that um, went to college together, and we get together eh, once a year, once every couple years. We're getting together in April in L.A. Nice. Um, on the beach. A friend just bought a house on the beach, so we're all just going to go reconnect, which I'm excited about. Yeah. Yeah, last year we went to Sayulita, Mexico together. That's awesome. There's something There's something about old friends that's like you can't buy. No. You know? There's this, like... You know, I have uh, a close friend still who's, you know, from high school. And it's just like, you know, he's made it on to be successful, which is really great. And, and um, you know, I've been successful. So it's been kind of fun. You know, I have some friends from high school that are kind of like losers still. And you're like, you know, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but the ones that, that, you know, have known you that long and, and that, you know, have you kind of like grown up together and you have success, it's, it's kind of fun to share in that and, and then have all the memories of like, oh, remember when we snuck out and, you know. True. And it's so. nice that they still like you, even though they <laughs> really know you. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, hey, I know you. Uh, so then what did you, what were you interested in college? Like what, what did you decide to do yeah. afterwards? So interestingly, near the end of my four years at Boulder, I took a class called biological psychology. And oh, man, I was blown away. We read... Uh, a book by Oliver Sacks. He's a pretty famous neurologist. He's now uh, passed away. 
Um, but he wrote a book called The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Have you heard about that one? I, no. Oh, you got to read it. So it's written <laughs> It's written by a neurologist, but okay. it's written for the layperson. So it's really, um, it's these really amazing stories. Is it that like the imagery where like the, it's like an old lady in a chair, but it also looks like a young lady with a hat on? No? That might be. There have been a few different book okay. covers. Yeah. Um, but he just tells stories about interesting neurologic patients that he's had. Okay. And... Uh, his theory as to why it's happening. And can um, you can you explain a little bit like what does that mean neurologic? Neurologic. Patient? So you know we've got all sorts of different systems in our body. So we've got the cardiovascular system, which is your heart and your blood vessels, and um, you've got well the neurologic system is basically um, you've got brain and spinal cord, which make mm-hmm. up your central nervous system. Um, and then you've got all those nerves that come off of your spinal cord. That's called your peripheral nervous system. You've got nerves that control your organs, like your heart and your lungs, and that's called the autonomic nervous system. Um, so uh, the nervous system is just a collection of nerves in your body. And so a neurologist is someone who you know specializes in treating diseases of that system. Okay. Right. Look so, at that. Yeah. Education right and then, there. Yeah. And to go even deeper, I specialize in treating a disease that only affects the central nervous system, which is multiple sclerosis. Okay. All right. Well, we'll get to that. But, yeah. Um, so did you have siblings growing up? You were an no, only child. Only. Okay. So you were like the princess, the queen. <laughs> like you, you ruled the roost. <laughs> oh, did I? I don't know. <laughs> Your mom worked. I mean, <laughs> yeah. did you share time with your parents when you were younger? Did you go back and forth? Or um, mostly, mostly my mom, mom raised okay. me. Yep. Yeah. And I saw my when we when I lived in the same city as my dad. Saw him a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, we would do usually one of two things together. We would either go to the arcade and play video games. Sounds fun. Yeah, and I got really good at Ms. Pac-Man. Or we would go to the bookstore and just spend hours at the bookstore. Really? Yeah. Which I still do to this day. Go to Tattered Cover and just read, read, read yeah. and buy books. And Thank yeah. goodness there's Love Tattered that. Cover. I mean, Amazon I know. putting I know. Borders and Barnes & Noble out of business. Yep. Yeah, I remember so back in the 90s, you know, we would go sit in a Borders or Barnes & Noble for hours. They got chairs and mm-hmm. okay. just hang out. Yeah. Yep. But oh. yeah, mostly my mom okay. raised me. Yeah. Okay. So only child. So and then when were, did you have just a knack for like education or, or learning or things like that? Like you enjoyed it, you didn't hate school, but you you know you just kind of did your thing. Yeah, I love. I think I just love to learn. Yeah. Yeah, and I th- I think that's been a persistent theme throughout my life. Um, yeah, anything new. Yeah. You know, just just pick it up. So when I moved to San Francisco. Well, we haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. I'll let you you drive the boat here. <laughs> hey, let me drive the boat. <laughs> Sorry, I just okay, got back so from Mexico, <laughs> so I'm like in water boat mode. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so you you took a class that was extremely interesting to you. Yes. I would stay home on... Fr- I was not the type to stay home on Friday, Saturday nights in okay. college. Yeah, like you're I going would, to arcades. I was out. And like, no, no, you know. <laughs> We were going to what was called The Hill. They, oh, they still okay. have The Hill in Boulder, but nice. um, there was some really you know, gr- amazing music at the Fox and, mm-hmm. you know... Um, Boulder Theater. Yeah, but we were mostly stuck to The Hill, Tulagi's Fox, Taylor's had live music, Um but this class kept me home on the weekends. I would stay home and read this class because I just, it was fascinating. It was the merging of biology and psychology and why we do what we do and mental illness. And 
I just found it totally fascinating. But I was like, oh, it's too late. I'm already graduating, and I'm not going to, like, go to med school or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. I don't want to be in school for the next four years plus residency. So, right. yeah, I just, you know, graduated. And what did you graduate <laughs> with? I have a BA in sociology. Okay. Yeah. And so what did you want to do with that? I, honest God, had no idea. I actually, right after college, I moved to Italy. <laughs> You're like, peace <laughs> out. <laughs> Looking for some pasta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. And then, so you went to what, go find yourself in Italy or? Well, I had studied abroad in Italy during my junior year. Okay. And I loved it. And I had a really hot Italian boyfriend back then. <laughs> ah, Venice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I did. But, um. <laughs> So I moved back and we, we reconnected and I thought, I don't know, maybe I'll just live here for the rest of my life and figure out what I'm going to do. I ended up teaching English. I, I worked in a couple stores selling random touristy items. I ended up working at an Irish pub as a bar back. Yeah. In Italy? In Italy. Oh, nice. In Florence. <laughs> Mostly Florence, yeah. Yeah, I also lived in Milan and Siena. But, um, so you're just like living the dream, right? Like pretty <laughs> laid back, like working some jobs, making some money, <laughs> Italy. Right. I mean. Eating pasta. Eating pasta. Gelato. Mm. Oh, I can imagine. I've seen some like food shows that they go to like these, you know, 200 year old gelato places in Italy. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, man. I, I have, when I'm there, I eat gelato every day. You have to. <laughs> it's like and you get skinny. It's, it's the weirdest yeah, thing. It's, I don't, what is that? I don't know. That's, I think it's all the walking. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah. So Italy, and, and then, then what? So I, I lasted about six months, came back, uh, and moved to San Francisco, which is where everybody from Boulder, like we all graduated college, yeah. and it was mass exodus. It's kind of like the, the San Francisco, Boulder's like the San Francisco of Colorado. It, it is. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So I moved to San Francisco with a couple good girlfriends, and plus a lot of our friends were already there. And I got my very first job at a big advertising agency. Okay. Yeah. And so you went from a sociology <laughs> major. <laughs> Which you can do anything with, <laughs> That's apparently. right. The psychology <laughs> and all that stuff is yeah. beneficial for marketing. Yeah. So then a big ad agency. And yep. you were just like... I started as a receptionist. Okay. Just, just taking calls, getting level. coffee. <laughs> Anything, yeah. yeah. And uh, it was fun. You know, we had some fun accounts. Um, made my way up to, like, I think account coordinator and then project. I don't even remember. But, you know, tried yeah. to climb the ladder. I was more on the project side, okay. which is where you, you're kind of the liaison between the creatives and um, the client. So um, did that. And then one of our clients wanted this brand new thing called an intranet. <laughs> that den, that darn intranet. It was brand new. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have cell phones. We uh, didn't have any of that. And so I got together with our IT person, and we had our very first book called HTML. And uh, we re I read that thing cover to cover, and he and I built them a website that was for internal use. And I just thought, this is so fun. Like I can write code and then you something appears on the screen. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. So I left advertising and I ended up um, switching gears and doing website development. Really? Yeah. So I did that from like 90. Well, when did I move to San Francisco? It must have been 95. Um, did that. Uh, 
So you were there, like that years. was like the heyday. Oh, it was in San the Francisco. Heyday. Yeah, of the internet. Oh like yeah, ninety five to two thousand one. You know, it was it was the best. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like Wired magazine was just starting, and they'd have these huge parties, and the whole rave scene was going on, and it was just fun. Yeah. I mean, I was there from like ninety five to 06. Okay. So nice. Yeah, good times. So wow. So you went from Italy. To advertising, to coding. Yes. And I wrote all code by hand. You know, now we've got Squarespace and Wix and WordPress, and it's like drag and drop WYSIWYG. Yeah. I was writing everything by hand and building these elaborate tables to, you know, place your images exactly where you wanted them. Yeah. Wireframing and all this (laughs) stuff. Yeah. And then near the end, I learned a lot of, you know, JavaScript and a little Perl script and some style sheets. But then, then I, you know, then I left that world. Yeah, when did you leave that world? 2001, the whole bubble burst. Right. Um, my company, about 40% of us got laid off, which actually was really interesting for a lot of us. We all had to figure out what to do with our lives. So, like, one of my colleagues opened up a really cute little boutique in San Francisco. Another one has become a really amazing photographer. Um I'm trying to think what else everybody else has done. Everyone just did kind of different things. Some people stayed, you know, and continued to write code or continued to be graphic designers. But it really forced us to do a little bit of soul searching and say, what do I want to do with my life? There's no security in anything. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yep. Yeah, so interesting. So um, so the the bubble burst. Yep. And then, then what? So I was around 29 at that point, okay. and I did my soul searching, and I thought, you know, I've always been interested in neuroscience. I've always been interested in the brain, and, you know, like a Time Magazine article would come out about the year of the brain, and I would pick it up and read it to cover to cover and just thought, this is cool. Like, th- this is just, this is, this is it. Like, this is what I want to do, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's too late to go to med school. You know, I'm 29, almost yeah. 30. So I emailed a bunch of doctors at UCSF and just said, hey, I'm really good with computers. I know how to work a database. I can pick up anything. I'm quick. Anybody need a research assistant? And so one of them wrote me back and said, yes, I desperately need someone to fix my databases and to run our MRI machine. And I was like, and recruit patients for a trial. And I was like, I can do that. Sure. So I got a job there at the VA in San Francisco, which literally has the best piece of land in all of San Francisco. It's on a cliff overlooking the ocean and you can see the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. And um, so I worked there for two years and I learned all about science and how to conduct research and how to write papers. And um, we were studying schizophrenia and bipolar and we were measuring volumes of a little part of the brain called the hippocampus, um, which one of its functions is to retain memories so, um, yeah, I just, I kind of got my feet wet there and I thought I can do this. You know, I, and I love it. And I, th- I think I could actually go to med school. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then you went to med school. Yeah. Well, uh, well, four years later I went to med school. Yeah. It took a while. I had to do two years of pre-med. Okay. Even though I already had my BA, I had to do two years of sciences. Okay. So, um, did that. I uh, had to take the MCAT, had to apply, you know, so. So it was a process. Oh, huge. Was there yeah. any point during that where you, like, just were going to give up <laughs> and, like, be like, eh, this no. is too hard? 
never. No. no. I what the way I approached it, I just said, okay, just do baby steps. So do one thing. So mm-hmm. what's the first thing you need to do? You need to take your science classes. Well, what's the first science class you need to take? Chemistry. So take chemistry and see how it goes. So mm-hmm. I took chemistry. Fine, I loved it. I thought it was fun and got an A. And I thought, okay, next step, take the rest of the classes. So I did that. You know? And yeah. then I just said to myself, if you can just pass every hurdle along yes. the way, don't get too far ahead of yourself. Right. Just, you know, pass each hurdle. And then, you know, if you make it, great. And if you don't, you'll be steered in another direction. And it just yeah. kept, you know, it just, it just love worked that. out. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I always tell people, you know, so, especially, you know, January just ended. And I always tell people, if there's anything that you want to achieve or you want, um, you have a goal or something that you want to, you know, hit, just work your way back, right? Like you, you write down where you are, right? And then write down where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And then just what are the steps to get there? Right. It's like even just making small changes, a lot of diet and exercise, right? It's like man, if, if you just incorporate more greens into your diet, like just eat a Eat one salad a week, you know, and, <laughs> and then and then work your way up, right? Then maybe next week you have two salads, you know. Right. But it's like sometimes we look at these insurmountable things, like these huge tasks, and we're like, ah, and we get discouraged. We try to bite off more than we can chew, and then yep. we get discouraged quickly and, and quit. But really, yeah, I like uh, that idea of just, all right, I, I want to go to med school. I want to, you know, become a doctor. These are the things I have to do. Let me just take one class, and then if I pass that, then I'll keep yeah. going. So then you just kept going. You kept crushing it. Kept going. <laughs> and then how many years of school did you have to complete total? Oh, like, can I count preschool? <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as to get your, your MD title. Well, so... Most people just do, you know, four years of college and then Mm -hmm. they go to med school. I did four years of college. Then I had two years of Mm pre-med, post-baccalaureate, post-bac pre-med, four years of med school. And then you do uh, four years of residency for neurology. Every residency is different depending on your specialty. Um, So and then I did an additional year of training, which is called a fellowship, which is super sub-specialized training. And I did that in multiple sclerosis. Wow. So 10 years, 11 years of school. Yeah, a lot. It's a long journey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the brain, that was kind of all your, like, that you're interested in. Yeah. And, and that's what got you into MS, essentially, because that's like the myelin sheath. and. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to be a neurologist. A lot of people go to med school and they have no idea what kind of doctor they want to be. Right. Uh, I knew going in, I'm going to med school so that I can become a neurologist. I didn't necessarily know I was going to become an MS doctor until I had my first MS patient. Mm. Um, and that was when I was, uh, I was a medical student and I was doing a month, you can do a month away from your medical school. So I went to medical school at Loyola in Chicago and um, I decided I wanted to do a month at UCSF in San Francisco because ultimately I wanted to end up back in San Francisco. And so I flew out there and I did a month working in the wards at the main UCSF hospital at Parnassus. And I met my very first MS patient who was a a 20, she was around 20, I think, uh, 20 year old young lady. Um, And she couldn't walk because Mm. she had um, a lesion on her spinal cord. And she and I, I just was like totally taken aback by her. And I felt like I could relate to her because she was young and 
she was active, you know, she loved to be outdoors and she was a surfer and she was super cool. And I just went and I was a student. I just went and saw her every day and really connected with her and wanted to help her. And unfortunately, we had, we had to give her a brand new diagnosis of MS mm. and, um, you know, started her on treatment. And uh, that is really what ignited, I think, the, the passion within me of this is this is who I want to treat you know, people like her, mm -hmm. and this is the disease that I want to treat. And at the time, um, there was a lot of exciting stuff going on in the MS world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, lots of new treatments and therapies, which were much more effective than, you know, what we had had in the past. And so that's really what got me going. And then throughout my residency, I just sought out opportunities to, you know, work in MS clinics and treat more and more MS patients. And then I eventually... Um, did decide I would do one additional year of fellowship, and I ended up going to UCSF, back to UCSF for that. Nice. And um, interestingly, this is, I won't tell you the whole story, but um, on my very last day of my fellowship, which was the very last day of my, all of my medical training, um, she was the last patient in the clinic. Hmm. So she was my very first MS patient of my training and the very last patient of my training. So I think... Wow. I think it was divine intervention. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, wow, that's really cool. Um, having that focus or under knowing what you wanted to do, I'm sure helped you a lot as far as all the courses that you took and, you know, spending time and, and volunteering in places and being around MS patients, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that must've been pretty beneficial than having that, singular focus throughout your, your medical education? I think it helps. I think, I think healthcare in the United States is becoming more and more specialized, especially as um, we learn more about the diseases and the treatments and, or interventions become more uh, complicated. I should maybe. Mm -hmm. So um, the more we learn, it's it's almost impossible to know everything about everything. So I think that's why we're seeing this trend towards hyper specialization. Um, so I mean, I literally treat one disease. I mean, I can I can treat headache and I can treat stroke and I can treat peripheral neuropathy and seizures, but um, I love treating MS. You mm. know, and that's where I focus my efforts. You know, I go to a conference every year in Europe that just all we talk about is MS and. I do most of my reading about MS and mm. it, there's just not enough time in the day to, for me to be reading about, you know, epilepsy and the latest, you know, clot retrieval device and stroke or what have you. So mm -hmm. yeah, at this point, I think it's, it makes sense it's, if you want to be an expert, you know, right. I Which, mean, there's a benefit to both. I think I, we need generalists for right. sure. I mean, we need good primary care doctors or generalists who, who know how to diagnose and who to pass the patient on to or, t or, you know, if they can treat it great. So I think we need both. Yeah. 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 You know, this is, uh, it's interesting because actually my sister-in-law has MS and, mm. uh, she was diagnosed when she was like nine years old. She was like really yeah. young, young case. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, it's been interesting to see her, you know, go through different treatments and there's been times that were like scary, like, Hey, this is kind of an experimental treatment. Like, if you mm. take this, you know, like these other really bad things could happen, you know, but it's like, you know, she's in her early thirties and has been dealing with it her whole life. And so it's like, 
you know, whatever she can do to slow down the progression of it. Right. You know, and so um, that's that's interesting. It's cool. I mean, I think that, yeah, they we need people out there to specialize in, in certain things so that they can give, you know, people hope, right? I mean, there's a lot of different illnesses and things out there that people don't even discover, right, until they're older or a lot of doctors, generalists don't know, like, I've never seen this before. They misdiagnose, but when you were a specialist, right, yeah. it's easier for you to identify things and, and you know, get things early. Definitely. I mean, you can see a general neurologist for MS, but it's hard for, I mean, there are 15 d- disease-modifying therapies for MS now, and knowing, you know, which drug is the best for which, which patient or how to transition from one drug to another safely, or what are the risks of this drug? You know, what are the possible complications? What are the benefits? You know, how risky is MS going untreated? These are things that, you know, it's it's hard to know unless you're doing it day in and day mm-hmm. out, and it's constantly changing. So, right. yeah, it's there's a lot. Yeah. So after you finished school, were you like, all right, I'm just going to go work at a hospital or... I mean, did you, what were your, what was your grand scheme? Right. So I, it's funny, I had lunch with a friend the other day and she's like, I'm so excited you're starting your own practice because this is what you're meant to do. This is what you've always wanted to do. And I was like, oh, interesting that, you know, she, she picked up on that just by knowing me. Um, but I think it has always been in my head. Like I've, I've never been very conventional. I've always kind of carved my own path and done things my own way and, I mean, the general path is, you know, you finish residency, you do your fellowship, and you most likely go work for a large hospital system. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially now, large hospital systems are taking over. You know, they're buying up all the small little practices. Um, And then they actually end up raising their rates. And, you know, as we know, our healthcare system is getting very expensive. Um, But here I am, you know, bucking the trends again and uh, starting a private practice um, because I think we need it. You know, I think patients are tired of a 15-minute visit with either their doctor or maybe a um, you know nurse practitioner or PA, and they're not necessarily um, creating a connection with their doctor, and mm-hmm. they're not necessarily getting all of their issues addressed. And mm-hmm. MS patients have a lot of issues. You know, it's not just that they have MS, you know, they've got trouble controlling their bladder, trouble controlling their bowels. Double vision. like Double vision. They can't sleep. They usually have anxiety or depression. They've got extreme fatigue. Um, there are cognition problems, you know. Right. And so it's, it, you can't do it in a 15-minute visit. And so I think, you know, we need a new approach to the way um, we practice medicine in this country. Hmm. Yeah. So... So did you go start your own thing right out of right out of school then? No. Oh, no. So I'm in the process of okay. opening my own uh, MS center right now. Right after fellowship, I actually was looking for a job and you know, interviewed all over the Bay Area. I was out there and couldn't really find anything that fit. I got one job offer that was offering me 20% below the national average in salary and they told me they were going to work me to death. I said, mm, God, that sounds so fun. Great yes, sign pitch. me up. <laughs> so I turned that one down and then I got a job offer here in Denver and with a small group. It was a two-physician practice, a general neurology, and I 
came out here in 2015 and worked with them for a couple years and really built up my MS practice. I had about 300 MS patients there. Yeah, in just a couple years, and I was new in town, so that was exciting. And um, that's when I really just thought, you know, in order to do what I want to do and practice medicine in the way that Mm. I think it should be practiced, um, I'm going to have to go out on my own and take a leap of faith and just do it. Hmm. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I thought I was going to do it in San Francisco. I actually went out there and did a little reconnaissance mission, you know, checked out real estate, spoke to a bunch of neurologists, got the lay of the land in terms of insurance and big hospital systems and realized it was probably going to be a losing game out in California Mm. and uh, decided that, um, you know, I missed my patients here and I missed home and um, moved back to Denver and now I'm doing it here. So I'm opening uh, the Colorado MS Center on April 1st. Wow. Yeah. That's super exciting. Yeah. I'm thrilled. I'm so excited. Yeah. So, I mean, is there a lot in in doing that? I mean, like, do you have to have certifications and like all sorts? I mean, I know what it takes to build a business as far as like websites and right. branding and all, you know all this stuff. I mean, there's got to be a whole other layer when it comes to like opening up a medical practice. Oh, it's it it is so difficult. <laughs> I can't even tell you. If you're going to be a practice that takes insurance, um, most people don't realize this, but the doctor has to contact each and every insurance company. Hmm. So Anthem, Aetna, Cigna. You name it, Rocky Mountain Health Plan, whatever. I have to call each and every one of them and say, I want to be one of your in-network providers. And then it takes them 90 to 120 days to check out my credentials. And then they deliver a contract to me telling me how much they're willing to pay me per visit or per procedure. And Mm. then I can say, "Mm, that doesn't look like enough for me to, you know, run a practice and we go into negotiations, and then we ultimately sign a contract. Wow. Um, but that, I mean, you might do that with 20 different insurance companies. So that's a huge pain, and it, it just it takes forever. So, um, Yeah, how long have you been working on this? I mean, 90 days, 120 days. I mean, that's yeah. like... Well, you can't do it until you have a business address. So I just signed a lease on Office Space okay. about three weeks ago. So I wow. literally just started my credentialing with insurance companies, Um three weeks ago. And, um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm only going to be accepting insurance at this point, um, for infusions. So if people want to, if they're on a drug that is infused, um, like an IV in Mm -hmm. the arm, um, then we will definitely take insurance and then we will also be accepting Medicare for all services. But, um, but yeah, it's the, you know, it needs to change. Like, it'd be nice if, you know, you could just go to any doctor you want and then submit your bill to your insurance, but the doctor doesn't necessarily have to have a contract with that insurer. Yeah. You know, that why, why is that? I mean, we, we, uh, I work with a lot of different, you know, medical uh, companies and industries, mm-hmm. and it, it seems like everyone has the same message of healthcare needs to change. And, yeah. you know, like, we need to think about, things differently and, you know, put the patient first and all these other kind of things. And then like, (laughs) why doesn't anything change? Well, the biggest lobbyists in our country are actually, uh, the health insurance companies. Hmm. They spend more than any other lobbyists in the whole country. And Hmm. I don't have my numbers with me, but I have looked up the data and, 
if you want to fact check me, fact check me. Um, there's a great book out that just came out called An American Sickness, where she does detail a lot of the the numbers mm. and um, the legislation that has passed. But basically, um, yeah, health insurance companies really run the whole game right now, and they determine how much everybody gets paid. And then second in line are the big hospital systems. Because they're so large, they actually have a lot of negotiating power with those insurance companies. So, um, for instance, um, let's say a health insurance company says they'll pay me 100 bucks for a visit. And I'm like, oh, that's not very much because I'm going to spend an hour with them and we're going to talk about five problems right. and I'm really going to take care of my patient. Um, they're like, well, too bad, you're, you're solo. Like, you have no negotiating mm. power. Whereas if that insurance company goes to a big healthcare system like Sutter, or which is a California system, Sutter says, no, you're going to pay us 400 for that visit. And the health insurance company may say, no, that's way too much. And they say, well, then, sorry, you don't have access to mm. all 1,000 of our doctors. So it's a big game. Yeah. So yeah. it's just like bureaucracy and just gaming the system, trying to make relationships and yeah and the bigger you are the more power you have right so that's why private practice has been dying but Mm. i think patients now hopefully and what i'm hearing is patients want something more they want more time with their doctor they want a doctor who's going to partner with them Mm -hmm. and getting them into um, optimal health and they're not going to get that through you know using their insurance so i i think we're gonna we're gonna see a shift and it's not going to be like an overnight change, but, you know, things are changing. Yeah, that's good. I mean, because, yeah, it's it's one of those frustrating things. Like a lot of times as a patient, you feel like a number. Right. And you feel like, you know, like, do you really care about me? Or, you know, because there's been right. times like, you know, I went in, had some blood work done and my triglycerides were kind of high. And instead of yeah. being like, hey, like, why don't you eat healthier and like maybe work out a little <laughs> bit? They're like, here, let me just write you a prescription. I'm like, how yeah. come you don't tell me to like, right. it's like, oh, I probably get, they probably get a kickback for like writing that prescription, you know, for whatever. It's like this crazy <laughs> system, you know? <laughs> okay. Well, I will clear that up. <laughs> okay. There are no kickbacks okay, like good. that. But what happens is that doctor has been told you need to see 30 patients a day mm. in order for us to meet the bottom line. And so they do a really quick visit with you. And the fastest way to treat your hypertriglyceridemia is to write you a script. Yeah. Right? Because they have 10 minutes, you right. know, especially primary care doctors right. have no time. And believe me, the doctor does not want to practice this way. The doctor is being told from somebody higher up, you have to practice this way. You have mm. to meet your numbers. You have to see this many patients a day. You have to make the hospital this much money. So I know everyone is hating on doctors, but it's like, they don't want to practice like this either. Like yeah. we are all, you know, cogs in a wheel in a system that, you know, is not working really for the doctors or the patients. Um, but yeah, no kickbacks for drugs. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I feel better now. Yeah. I always try to prescribe generic if I can, if it's, you know, for something like that. But, you know, when you have time to spend with your patient, we are going to talk about diet. You know, right. we're going to talk about like, let's add in more veggies. Yeah. First step, just like you said, I loved what you said earlier of like baby steps, you know, add in greens. I have a friend, she just finished her nutrition degree and she said, Susan, here's what you got to do. Every meal needs to include something green, um, fat, protein, and fiber. She goes, if your plate has those four things on it, you've probably got a decently healthy plate in front of you. Mm-hmm. And she said, start with just one meal a day that meets those four criteria. And then 
you know, work up to a point where maybe all of your meals do. And mm. I was like, that's great. And I did it, and it was so easy. Look at that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So opening your own deal, I mean, now you're the boss, right? Yeah. I mean, like, you're the one in charge, mm-hmm. being like, this is how we're going to do things. <laughs> I know. It's kind of nice. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, did you ever imagine in a million years that you would be here at this spot, like, opening your own practice and, you know, going down that hill? Uh, probably. Yeah. I th- yeah, I think I think it has been brewing for a long time of just I, I I would think why is private practice dying? Like I I totally believe in it. I totally believe in that doctor-patient relationship and that long-term, you know, continuity of care. I, those are all things that I believe in. I believe in house calls, you know. I believe in um talking on the phone to your patient, you know. I I think those have been core values for me for a really long time. So, yeah, I think I think I knew early on that I wouldn't be able to work for someone else for very long mm-hmm. or work for a hospital system telling me to see X number of patients a day. Like it just it doesn't really it doesn't really align with who I am or what I value. Yeah. So what's going to set you apart? What's going to make you different, you know? Yeah. What's going to be the <laughs> You know, the Colorado MS Center. Yeah. Like, what's going to be their MO? Um, basically, you know, I'm, I'm here now. I'm committed to Denver. I'm opening a practice. Um, I'm here for the long haul. I've probably got another 20 to 30 years in me. So my goal is to establish really strong relationships with my patients. Um, I do an initial visit with a brand new patient is usually 90 minutes. I've spent two hours and 45 minutes with a new patient. So I really, I don't want to set the standard here. (laughs) Hey, everybody, (laughs) go see Susan. At least 90. (laughs) You could take up all her time. (laughs) No, but I think, you know, people are complex. You know, it's, it's not just like, oh, you've got MS. Great. Let's put you on a drug. It's like, you know, what are, what's going on with your job? Are you stressed out? Do you have any support? You know, do you have a good group of friends that does anybody know you have this disease? Mm. Um, what symptoms are you having? What are you eating? You know, are you eating fast food and processed food every day? Do you sleep? You know, another great book I read this year was called Why We Sleep. Amazing, amazing, amazing book. It made me I love diet, I love nutrition, but mm. after reading that book, I almost felt like sleep is more important than diet. Yeah. Um, they're both important. They're very Don't important. get me wrong. Um, but, but yeah, sleep is I think, I think what sets me apart is I'm going to go over that stuff in the first visit. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to, not only am I going to talk about your MS and your symptoms and, you know, the path that you've taken, but like, who are you and what do you need and what's going to make you feel better? And my goal is, you know, to, well, clearly to, you know, halt or slow down the MS, but also just to get you feeling good and enjoying life and having some joy in your life. So figuring out what that is. So that's one thing that's going to set me apart. Um, Two, just really, instead of, you know, everything's moving towards high tech and and I'm kind of, you know, sure, I'm going to use technology, but I want to kind of bring it back to the old days. Like, you know, like I said, I'll do a house. I'll come to your house. Like if you feel like you're exhausted because of your MS and you don't want to leave and you want to stay in your jammies, like I am happy to visit you at your house. Um, I think that's really different. I don't. So yeah. really, instead it's of like go- old school, it's, it's that, old school. It's that <laughs> Nebraska way. <laughs> yeah. 
Another cool <laughs> book is Doc Susie. She was one of the very first doctors in Colorado in the late 1800s. She set up her own practice in, just outside of Winter Park, and she treated all of the railroad workers and, um, like, lumberjacks, and um, mm. it's a cool book. Um, but anyway, that and just so high touch. I don't know. I don't know if people still use that word, but like, yeah. I want, I want to have a relationship. I want, like, my patients. They email me and say, "Hey, doc, I'm worried about this new tingling in my left leg." And it's like, "Well, come on in today. Hmm. We're gonna get you in. It's, we're not gonna make you wait three months, you know." And it's just, it's all about like, what can I do to take care of you and get you in the best shape possible? So, how do you manage your time, though? I mean, it. You know, it's like if you're being that personable, yeah. spending that time, like how do you cater to the person who had an appointment? Yeah. So I just schedule a long appointment for them. Yeah. Yeah. Like you just know, like, all right, these guys are going to need two hours. Yeah. So a new patient, we, we schedule a 90-minute visit. Okay. Um, and then I usually leave a half an hour gap after that. So okay. if we finish in 90, great. You know, I can work on my notes. I can communicate with their primary doctor what we've discovered today. Mm -hmm. You know, we can fill out some paperwork. Maybe they're starting a new medication. Um, I, you know, I have an amazing assistant who's really good at going over all the details with the patient, um, which I do as well. But, um, but yeah, it's just, you know, you, you have to make the time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. You're, it, it's like, yeah, this isn't easy and it takes work. Mm-hmm. But if you want to do it right, you you just have to do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, why bother, you know, going to a 15-minute visit twice a year where all you all you hear is like, hey, is your drug working? Let's check your MRI. Okay, no new lesions. Perfect. See you in six months. You still have six other problems that mm. nobody talked about that are still bothering you, and your quality of life is suffering because of it. No one's tuned up your diet. No one's talked to you about sleep. No one's talked to you about stress. No one's got you to quit smoking. You know, you know, we have, it's just, people aren't going to get better if we don't spend the time. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I think it's really cool that you're saying it and then also doing it. Thanks. It's like healthcare needs a change. So it's going to start with me. Right. And if more people start operating like that, then you can make big impact and big change. Yeah, I think, really cool. I think it is a trend. I think more and more doctors are saying, I don't want to play a part in this system. It's broken. I don't feel good about what I do at the end of the day. You know, mm -hmm. if you came in and said, I have high triglycerides, and I'm like, here's a drug, like, do I feel really good about that? Mm. No, not at all. I don't. Yeah. Absolutely not. Um, so I think more and more doctors, I'm, I'm on a Facebook forum for private practice doctors, and I, I see this sentiment all the time of doctors who are just frustrated with the system and, and definitely want mm -hmm. something different. So I think we all need, all doctors need to stick together and really start advocating for our patients and for ourselves. You know, how do we want to practice medicine? And, you know, we take an oath to do no harm. And, you know, that's harmful to just give you a drug. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So where do you see this thing going? I mean, what, what are your hopes and dreams and, you know, what would you hope to achieve in the next five, ten years? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, we're starting small um, and just, you know, like taking the first chemistry class, mm -hmm. um, starting small, building the practice. Ultimately, I would love to see it turn into a full-fledged, comprehensive MS center of excellence where you show up and Everything you need is there, mm. you know, from physical therapy to 
a psychologist who can do talk therapy to infusions, which we're, we already have, um, you know, uh, massage, acupuncture, um, you know, yoga and meditation, um, nutritionist on site. So just one-stop shopping. Another thing that we do is really working towards promoting community. So um, I started a support group about a year ago that is actually still up and running. It's being run by one of my patients right now. Um, and I think we'll just let that one continue to run. But I want to do fun events. Like let's do once a month we go to dinner or mm. we come in and we learn some, you know, pranayama, which is yogic breathing techniques to really calm the nervous system. Or we we have craft night. I just want to like promote community. Mm. I think... A lot of people feel isolated these days, and especially probably if you've got a chronic illness or something that causes some sort of a disability. So I think, I just think it would be fun to get everybody together and do fun things. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm even thinking like maybe a, a weekend away, like riding ATVs or something, you know? <laughs> just <laughs> You're a cool doctor. Thanks. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's right, riding ATVs with my doctor this weekend. <laughs> like, what? Right. Yeah. Why not? I mean, let's just break the mold. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And and you know, there's nothing like having community with people who understand what you're going through, right? And yeah. you know, especially having MS, all the different things. Like you know, you can talk to somebody like, "Oh, I have MS," and then it's like, "Oh, wow." And then that person just thinks back to the person they knew growing right. up who had MS it was like in a wheelchair or something and Totally. But, you know, when you can relate to other people who are going through similar things or who are tired constantly or, you know, whatever it is, it's like, oh, wow, yeah. you feel comfort in that. And so I think that's really powerful. Absolutely. And every case of MS is different. You know, some people you wouldn't even know and other people are really struggling. Yeah. You know, so everybody's different. Yeah, that's awesome. What is, what is some advice that you would give to a young person who's coming up that uh, is interested maybe in the medical field or doing something in that arena, what kind of advice yeah. would you would you give them? Hindsight's twenty twenty, you know. Right. Looking back. Um, I would say definitely read the book, An American Sickness, so that you really can wrap your head around what's going on with our healthcare system right now. Um, <clears throat> I think it's still a noble pursuit. I think... I would say definitely don't go into it thinking you're going to get rich, like major in finance if you want to get rich. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but um, just go it, educate yourself. Talk to as many people as you can. You know, that's one thing. You can read books and everything, but talking to people, talking to doctors, talking to, you know, anyone, in, you know, hospital administrators, nurses, talking to people, getting their experiences, making sure it's really what you want to do. Also, don't pursue it unless you're passionate about it. You know, mm -hmm. if you're doing it because your parents want you to do it or you feel, you know, you're unworthy in this world and that's, you know, what's propelling you to get this advanced degree, I don't know that that's necessarily the right reason. I mean, I think all of us struggle with that to yeah. some degree of, like, you know, wanting to prove ourselves, and that's, you know, that's fine. But um, just make sure you're going into it for the right reasons because it's not easy anymore, and it, it's... Um, you know, there are a lot of hurdles, and we uh, the doctors have lost a lot of their autonomy. So just uh, educate yourself. But read that book, I would say. Yeah. And then if you do, if after all that, you, you want to become a doctor, then just um, you got to get good grades. 
You've got to do community service, so lots of volunteer work. Ideally, you've done some research. Um, so, you know, eat, reach out to local uh, hospitals that are doing research where you could be a research assistant. Um, letters of recommendation are so important. Make sure you get really good letters from influential people who have committed to you to write a really positive letter. Um, and then go for it. And, and just, you know, we all have fear, but, um, you know, let the fear come in and then just go, well, that thing, thanks for coming, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway, yeah. you know? So, but you know, don't be stupid, but just, you know, take it in, but don't let fear guide your life, right. you know, go with what you're passionate about, um, and let that guide your life. Mm. And, um, you know, the fears are going to creep in here and there, but, um, that's just your ego getting in the way. And, you know, if you're passionate and you really have a vision for what you want to do, then go for it. Yeah. And, and it's never too late. Exactly. It's never too late. Right. That's, that's what I, I get a sense of. It's essentially like your second life here. Yeah. That you started your career I in this world. I was not an MD until I was almost 38 years old. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So it's never too late. And and someone told me once when I was debating, I was like, gosh, oh, should I go to med school or should I not? And they're like, listen, you're going to be 38 and a doctor or you're going to be 38 and not a doctor. So <laughs> when you say it like that, it makes yeah, it sound like, so, oh, yeah, okay. I might as well do it, right? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What about, um, you, you, you recommended several different books. I know. I that, love to read. That we need to go out and read, which yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, were there any books other than the ones you mentioned that made an impact in your life or that encouraged you or motivated you or yeah. anything like that? Oh, so many. Um, about six years ago, I read a book uh, by my uh, yoga teacher, Rod Stryker, called The Four Desires. Um, and it is all about finding your purpose in mm. life. And creating a life that um, gives you joy. And in finding your purpose, you know, you can share that with the world. And I read that book, and it was a total game changer. Hmm. I mean, it blew my mind. After I read the book, I ended up finding him. He wasn't my teacher at that point. He lives up in Carbondale. And I went up there and did a five-day training based on the book. So the training was called The Four Desires. And it was, whoa, like, I just got the chills. Like, um, it was transformational. Yeah. Totally transformed my whole life. Yeah. And I developed a daily meditation practice after that and wasn't afraid to be me, wasn't afraid to be vulnerable. Um, it just was, it was pretty life-changing. So I love that book. Nice. Um, and then interestingly, this past year I read, uh, have you read You Are a Badass? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. She's so funny, and I really, really like her book. And um, But, you know, she brings in a lot of stuff that Rod Stryker spoke about in his book. And, you know, he he brings in ancient teaching. So it's, right. it's not like he invented all of this. He just compiled it and put it in a nicely readable format and created a workbook and a path to kind of go through it. Because, you know, you can read all you want, but it's really about practice, mm -hmm. practice taking action, doing it. So yeah. you can read about meditating. Oh, that sounds neat. Or you can read about pranayama, which are those breathing exercises. You're not going to get the benefit unless you actually do it and you do it consistently. And so that 
reading the book, going to the five-day training, and then implementing all of these practices on a daily basis has profoundly changed my mm. life. Yeah, that's awesome. So, the, Yeah, I like those books. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> what about um, as far as like business, you know, opening your own business, yeah. starting your own thing? You know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so it is uh, terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, you know, learn as much as you can from people who have done it before you. Um, you know, I try to do a lot of things on my own because I can pick up on things. But at some point, I hit a wall and I go, you know what? I do not know how to do medical billing. I right. need to find a biller. You know, and so then you reach out to your network and you find a biller. And then, um, you know, I do not know how to do this. So I'm going to hire somebody to do it. Like, you can't do everything. Or I can code a website, (laughs) but should I code my own website? (laughs) So I actually (laughs) hired someone to help me get it going. And I watched her do a lot of stuff. And then it kind of reignited the the flame in me to to do it. So then I played with it and tweaked it. And we got a website up last week, which I'm excited about. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's one thing about starting a business is, yeah, you need to reach out and use the expertise of other people who have done it because sure, I could, I can do all of my insurance contracts myself. It would probably take me like 10 hours each, or I can hire a biller and he or she can get it done in probably 15 minutes because Mm -hmm. they've done it a million times. So, you know, that's the beauty of, of an expert. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's no trial and error. There's no making mistakes. It's just like, Oh, that's easy. Yeah. Done. Um, yeah. And then, um, you know, get a good CPA. Yes. Get a good lawyer, you know, all these people who can guide you. The problem is it costs money. You know, when you start a business, you got to lay down some cash in order to get the thing off the ground. And then you hope, and pray that uh, <laughs> the if baby you, grows and pays you if back. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, that, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's an part. interesting fact that a lot of people don't think about when you have a private practice, right? It, it it really is like you're providing a service to people, and if you provide a good service with great customer service, hopefully those people will keep coming back and recommend their friends or people that they know. Right. And so it just continues to to grow. Exactly. So. And that's how I hope this medical practice really takes off is via word of mouth and mm-hmm. <clears throat> quality um, and just hearing about the type of service that we provide um, rather than like just going after social media and all that. I mean, I'm going to do some of that, but mm-hmm. I don't know if, if that's really where I'm going to, you know, see the most return on investment. Yeah. You know? For yeah. this type of practice. Right, yeah. I think some businesses, you know, that targeted social media marketing is the best. Right. Um, but I think people, too, are also, they're craving community. They want real live events. They want to talk to people. Like, they mm-hmm. don't want to spend hours on Facebook and Instagram anymore. No, like, yeah. don't you feel like people yeah. are just getting over it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because as a, you know, uh, business owner and uh, somebody who has to spend a lot of time on social media. I, I don't really spend a lot of time on social media. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, because for me, I think about what could I be doing instead of this? Right. Right. Can I be educating myself? Can I be, you know, taking care of my health at the gym or something like that? Like if right. I'm sitting there scrolling for 30, 45 minutes, like that's my life that is disappearing like that I ever can't ever get back, you right. know? And so it's kind of a catch-22 because 
you know, it, to some extent, I have to show that my business is savvy and that I can, you know, manage digital marketing and all these other kind of things. Yeah. But on the same token, I, I don't want to waste my time or life on social media. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a great medium. Yeah. You know, we need to use it where it's appropriate. And just like using technology in healthcare, you know, use it where it's appropriate and discard it where it's not. Yeah. What is your, um, let's talk about some, just some quick personal stuff. Like what's your favorite food? Chocolate. (laughs) My wife's favorite food is chocolate too. (laughs) I found a, my mom and I were going through old boxes and of papers from when I was like in first grade. And it's like, what's your favorite food? Chocolate. What's your favorite whatever chocolate cake what's your favorite <laughs> something else chocolate ice cream i was like oh yeah so yeah, it hasn't changed it hasn't changed <laughs> and mean? i just i was just in mexico yesterday and i ended up buying a bunch of raw cacao oh nice which is you know the latest trend um you can add it to your smoothies or you can make you know drinks yeah. and it's um got a lot of you know good benefits medicinal value yeah. i'm getting really into herbalism too learning okay. the value of certain herbs you know like yeah. feverfew for instance can be uh-huh. a migraine preventative which you know i've always prescribed feverfew but i didn't really understand you know the mechanism behind it but plant medicine is fascinating yeah it is yeah yeah and it's you know hardly any side effects <laughs> yeah so i love chocolate but okay. yeah i mean i have a lot of, I, I love thai food okay i love italian food Ooh. i love food yeah, of course. <laughs> it's like, okay, how do I love food and be healthy at the same yeah, time? I love to eat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what about uh, your first car? Do you remember your first car? Oh, yes. It was a Volkswagen Scirocco. Whoa. Do you remember those? No, You're I too don't. Young. Gosh darn it. <laughs> the Scirocco sounds cool. Yeah, it was cool. And safety, Volkswagen's always, you know. It was cool. It had leather seats, it had like a really nice stereo system, it was decently fast. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, that's and cool. then uh, what about music? You know, what music. kind of music are you into? Because you, you said you like going to concerts and, yeah. and things like it's that. It's funny because, well, I love music and I love all sorts of music. I, um, you Gregorian know, I Gregorian chants. Is that your? Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> but I, I, I'd be down. Um, so I, you know, I told you I was in San Francisco from like 95 to 06. Yeah. And I uh, got really into, like, house music. So um, I love, you know, good Chicago house, Detroit house. Okay. Anything just with a really good beat. Um, <laughs> That's But awesome. then on the flip side, I'm a huge Dave Matthews fan. Okay. Which I know everyone thinks is so lame. But, like, I saw Dave Matthews play on the sidewalk in Boulder in, like, 1993. Before he really made it. Oh, yeah. And then he, he filmed one of his first videos at the Fox Theater, and I was there. And I've seen him at least... I don't know, 20, 30 times. Every, what? T- every time he comes to town, I go see Dave. That's awesome. Um, and I've met him too. So, okay. Um, so there's there some deep rooted reasons why you like him. Yeah. But I love, I love, I love classic rock. I love, um, I, I love all sorts of music. That's awesome. The yeah. house thing. I just imagine pulling up to you on this, looking oh, yeah. over and then it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? Oh yeah. That's I've, how my mother-in-law, the first time <laughs> I got into her car, she was like listening to like Metallica or something. I was like, Lori? <laughs> What are you listening to Nickelback and Metallica for? (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. And in high school, I was really into New Wave, you know, so like Bauhaus and Joy Division and The Cure and Depeche Mode. And I still love all that. So, uh, yeah, I just, I, I, anything experimental, like, um, I don't know. Yeah. 
That's so cool. Anything cool and, and I don't know. There's a new song by Toro Imwa that I love called Freelance. That's like my latest That's favorite a, song. Oh, nice. You know, when you're a kid and you're like, what's your favorite song? Yeah, we do summer jams in our house, you know. Uh-huh. Like usually like every year there's like a summer jam. You know, it's like, oh, oh Better really? Now by Post Malone or something, you know. Ooh, or, we'll have to share playlists. Yeah, there you go. I, I Spotify. Okay. I share yeah, my yeah. playlist. I love, I love like, well, in the old days when we used to just keep all our music on MP3s. Remember mm-hmm. that? Like five years yeah. ago? <laughs> yeah. Um, my friends and I would get together with our external hard drives and be like, just swap them out. Like, oh, I nice. would take all your music and you would take all mine. But now it's like nobody even has any physical music anymore. No. Well, yeah, and, and even further back, I had a mini disc player. Oh, me too. And we used, I to, had an we used to swap. <laughs> Did you really? In my bedroom when I was a kid. That's and, awesome. and I had Hotel California, Eagles Hotel California. <laughs> Just playing. And Meatloaf on, on <laughs> 8-track. Oh, that's classic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have 8-track. We had an 8-track player in my grandpa's car, and I remember he had a stack oh, of 8-tracks, yeah. and I used to be like, oh, this is awesome. You know. You could only choose four, one of four songs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it was still pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. I hear, um, and I have a record player at home. I have all nice. my grandpa's old jazz records. Oh, that's he was cool. an amazing pianist. Really? Yeah, so I've got, well, I don't have all of them, but I have a lot of his old records. Yeah, yeah it's fun to play play records. Yeah, we always bust out the record player during Christmas, you know, and nice. we play all the classics, Bing Crosby uh-huh. and Nat King Cole. It's very, very, like, warm and fuzzy. It is. It's funny, whenever my kids hear, like, any music from, like, the 40s or, you know, 30s or whatever, they're like, why are you playing Christmas music? I'm like, this isn't Christmas music. It's just got that nostalgic sound to it, you know? <laughs> It's fun playing records. The only bummer is that after like five minutes, you have to flip it over. Yeah. I feel like they go through so they quickly. They do. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. There's like three or four songs per side. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah. this is why I just wanted my Spotify playlist. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what about pets? Are you into pets? You got animals? I have a cat. Okay. Um, my friends out there uh, all know my cat, Pablo. No. Pablo. He's amazing. <laughs> Sounds he's, amazing. He's so sweet, and he loves to cuddle, and he's just, he's unlike any other cat ever. Like, when I open the door, he runs to the living room and lays on his back because he wants a belly rub. <laughs> <laughs> Pablo. And then he, like, sleeps right on my face every night. Oh, that's hilarious. He's really cute. That's awesome. He's 14, though, so I, uh-huh. I like, I get worried every day that... Just get a cat looks exactly like him. I'm gonna clone him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you could. Yeah. There's yeah. that too. I'm saving my money. <laughs> there you go. The clone cat, <laughs> Pablo <laughs> Deuce. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you coming by and and chatting with us. And um, you know, I think it's always beneficial to hear people's stories. You know, because. So many times we think, you know, we see somebody and we put them on this pedestal of like, oh, they're just smarter or they just had luckier breaks or, you know, they they make excuses why they themselves can't do it. But when we hear people's story, it really reveals to us that, wow, like all she did was walk through doors as they opened and she worked hard and she stayed motivated and she didn't give up and, you know, she kept pursuing her dreams. And so I think that's always just really encouraging and um, you know, I just hope that that if you're listening to this episode or watching it on Facebook, that uh, that it was an encouragement to you and that you took something away and that you go and make a difference in your life and in this world. So, Susan, thank you so much. And uh, I wish you all the best with your new business and medical practice. Thank you. And um, we'll uh, see you soon. Thanks for having me. All right.